everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a beautiful but crisp weekend here in I wouldn't DC. call it crisp. Uh, you have some stuff you want to say before I, I do. Say anything else. So, hey, everybody, welcome to Foodie and the Beast. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Just a couple quick reminders follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and now on LinkedIn, because that's what you got to do. Um, also, don't forget to tune into Industry Night. Every Thursday, we do a deep, deep dive on what's happening in the industry, not just locally, but also nationally, taping it out of the wine layer. And you can check it out not only on all the podcast sites, but also on YouTube. Um, don't forget to subscribe to that and to subscribe to us here at Foodie and the Beast. And, of course, you can always subscribe to the list, areyouwanna.com. All right, Take it away. ready to go. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we're joined today. We always have a nice drink segment so we can get schnuckered by the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clyde Davis Jr. is back with us. He's the North American brand ambassador for Equiano Rum. I think you did that wrong. No. Clyde is back <laughs> no. with us. I mean, how many Don't times you have you been on the show, Don't you remember National Rum Day? Uh, yeah, oh, my God. I think this is my fifth or sixth time. Yeah. Been- All right, get the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Equiano is a, a black and woman-owned company out of the UK. Uh, he's also the owner of an operation called 75 Proof Beverage Solutions, uh, which is a company that's focused on the success of black and woman-owned spirit brands. And today we're going to be doing Equiano rum in mm-hmm. all its forms. Our next guest who will be on, our first guest actually, is a he's a buddy of Michael Schlau's. Oh, yeah. He took a car ride with Julia Child. <laughs> it's Steve DiFilippo. He's the chef owner of Davio's Northern Italian Steakhouse. Uh, originally out of Boston, but now they're everywhere, including at Reston Station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got eleven locations. Uh, he, I, I like this. He's been in the restaurant industry for a long time. You're in the, the Massachusetts Restaurant Hall of Fame, and you were awarded Restaurant Tour of the Year in 2014. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. And Maggie Zhu is with us. She got a new cookbook called Chinese Home Style. It's all about plant-based recipes for every day of the week, so you can make your and dim sum. it's beautiful. Your it's so beautifully dishes. photography. It's, the photography is gorgeous, and the food is actually good for you. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. So we'll talk to Maggie, and then you want to talk about our last Well, segment. so two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going out first to Crimson Lane Vineyards, which we just had on the show a couple of weeks ago. You should definitely hear that um, episode because it was excellent. But then I got to go meet uh, Karen Way and Roy Lampert. Uh, they are at, uh, I, I also met Jessica, but I don't know her last name, um, uh, at Ovacola Farms. And they produce a beautiful, beautiful product of a mix of uh, the Angus cow and the Wagyu cow. And they create this F1 product. I got to play with the cows and then I got to eat the cows. Don't name them. Don't um, name them. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I learned so much and I got to stay at the farm, which is gorgeous. And we'll get into all that. But I'm delighted to have them in with us today. But first, so that we get into the mood, let's mm-hmm. introduce, reintroduce. Clyde Davis Jr. Hey, Clyde. Where have hey. you been, Clyde? Where have you been? Well, I, it's funny because I told people I haven't been on the show since pandemic season one. Right. And so <laughs> now that we're, you know, in pandemic, pandemic season four, I believe it is. Um, it's I like know the, what the, it is. The post-pandemic era, era. So I'm glad to be back here, still in the spirits business, 
um, still growing brands, um, focusing on black-owned and women-owned spirits. But how did Equiano get a hold of you? How so, did they find you? It's funny. The, during the, the pandemic, you know, I was on a vacation, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the owner of Equiano Rum, Ian Burrell, who is the thought leader of rum around the world, called me and said, Clyde, I have this great idea for a rum. I really would like your help uh, uh, actually launching it in the U.S. Can you be our North American brand ambassador? And I was like, first of all, you're naming the rum after Equiano. And that was like a really big deal to me. Uh, being that this was going to be the world's first African and Caribbean rum. Mm. And Olda Equiano was someone I grew up learning about. He was an African who was kidnapped um, from Benin at 11 years old. Um, he actually was uh, sold into slavery in Barbados. But those 10 years he was enslaved became a master sailor and a, a merchant. And he actually bought his freedom from by selling rum when he was 21 years old. Uh, by selling, uh, he, had 40, he raised 40 pounds and bought his freedom, became an abolitionist, wrote a book called The Instant Narrative of Old Da Equiano. Oh, and then Frederick Douglass. Used his, Frederick Douglass named his book The Instant Narrative of Frederick Douglass as a homage to him. Mm-hmm. And to that end, so that was a childhood hero of mine, so to name this rum after him, and then the fact that the company gives back 5% of profits to Anti-Slavery International, which is the world's oldest human rights organization. So they're getting the message about Oda Aquiano, who was a childhood hero of mine and a lot of people, and also spreading the love and rum, which is one of my, my first spirits loves. So it just all made sense for me. We're not well, going to ask you if you love Equiano or rum more. <laughs> but no, but I think we met you originally uh, celebrating with a group of guys, yes. National Rum Day, yes, yes. years and years and years ago. So just quickly, can you just talk about like how you fell in love with rum? Well, my first company that I ever had in the spirits business started in 2002. It was Team Spirits Imports Company, and our first product was Chairman's Reserve Rum. Mm-hmm. Um, so we grew that rum. We created uh, the rum Chairman's Reserve Spice Rum, which became the highest-rated spice rum in, in, of all time. And we sold that company in 2016, about three years after we had started Rum Day. So I had this big success in rum, and I just loved it because rum tells the story of, of the modern-day world. Because when you think about... Um, the growth of Western civilization, it was rum that was carried on all those ships mm-hmm. along with the people and sugar and all these things. And it actually yeah. grew what we, rum was one of the, the things that grew the world as we know it. So it's kind of like the, it's a staple in our in our world. On that note, what are you pouring for us first? Today, right now, I'm going to pour you uh, Equiano Original Neat, which is the classic serving of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Equiano Rum, the original, it starts in Mauritius. It's aged 10 years in cognac barrels. And then we transport that liquid to Barbados, where it's blended with rum that's aged eight years in bourbon barrels. So it's a great sipping rum, great way to start the day. Great. So, All right, right we'll get started it. with that. And we're going to start you. talking to Steve DiFilippo. Steve. Okay, for- no, uh-uh. No? I get to start this one. You do? Yes, because I went to school in Boston, and I used to hang out on Newberry Street during the day, because at night we were hitting yeah, the Yeah, instead of going to classes, um, I should and have. Lansdowne the- Street? Is that huh? You go down to Lansdowne Street back in the day? Yeah, I went M80. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I hang out at all the places. All my nightmares. Um, what do you mean your nightmares? You weren't there. Um, it was a ball. We had a great time. So we hit the clubs during the night. We hit Davio's during the day. That's where we all recuperated. Mm-hmm. It was on Newberry Street where we sort of like shopped and schmied and ate and drank and got ready for the night. Um, so tell us a little bit how Davio's started for you and then grew. Well, when I started, it was a little tiny little restaurant on Newbury Street that you're yes. talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was in 1985. 
Uh, I don't no, mean, that wasn't 1985 for, for me. For me, it was because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm just a couple years older than you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was a chef owner. It was a little tiny restaurant, like 3,000 square feet. We had about 15 people in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a general manager as well as the chef. And, uh, you know, I kind of learned a lot there in those days. And then over the years, we started to grow and we started to open other restaurants in other cities and other states. And, uh, you know, now we're in 11 states and but we have over a thousand people. But let's talk about the initial concept. Yeah. When you sure. opened on Newberry yeah. Street, what was your initial concept? Well, the original concept? concept was Italian. You know, I'm half Italian. My mom was Portuguese, but uh, I'm, I was really brought up on a, as an Italian guy, okay. American Italian. But most Italian, so, like back in the day, was in the North End. End. Yeah, but I wasn't a North End guy. You know, I grew up in Linfield. Well, because that's like Red Sauce Italian. Yeah, we were not Red Sauce. I mean, mm-hmm. we, in fact, we didn't even have meatballs. We didn't, we didn't do any parms or any of that kind of stuff. We did our own dishes. It was, it was Northern Italian. It was... Nothing like, you know, I had gone to Italy, I'd gone to California. I, I really tried to do our own dishes because I felt that if we had our own dishes, you'd have to come to Davio's and, and not, because you go to the North End and everyone, it's basically the same, same menu thing. in every yeah, restaurant. Right, right. It's so, like a little Italy. Yeah, and it's great. I love the North End. I grew mm-hmm. up with that food, but I wanted to do something different, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, after I went to Boston University, I went to a chef school. So I had a business degree and I had a chef degree, you know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I was kind of a hybrid because I, I also worked in the front of the house and I also was a chef. So uh, it, it was it was just different. But so what was it about you that wanted to get cooking after you got your business? Well, my right? mother, my mom was, you know, I grew up cooking with my mom, okay. uh, you know, and my grandmother, you know, my Italian grandmother. Uh, and so it was always in me to be a, a cook. But also my father was president of this major corporation. So I had this business guy teaching me business, and I had my mom teaching me cooking. Mm. So I had... I mean, I just want to say for the record, most chefs should get a business degree. Yeah. It would well, change I the well, I just want to say, if restaurant. you had failed in business, you'd be going to hell after, <laughs> all, after all those advantages. Yeah, no, I, I was blessed. I had an amazing family, and I wouldn't be here without my parents, obviously. Mm-hmm. They were just so great to me, and I learned a lot from them. So... Do you think our kids say that about us? I doubt it. <laughs> we, we only have five kids. We'll have to have a sixth and train the little Somebody better bugger. say something. Um, okay. But there's a lot of competition, Italian, Italian, Italian in Boston. So what do you, what do you well, I mean? Well, we're not really Italian anymore. We've become a steakhouse. So we're in a, we call when ourselves. When did that morph happen? Yeah. Well, when we moved from, we moved from Newbury Street in 02, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over 20 years ago, we moved to a big, huge space, 10,000 square feet, Jeez. big high ceilings. We went from a four seat bar to a 32 seat bar, you know. Everything changed, mm-hmm. uh, and we became a steakhouse. We became uh-huh. a Northern Italian. So instead of being just Northern Italian, we added steakhouse to the name, mm-hmm. and we be- now we sell over fifty, sixty percent of our people that come with us I eat mean, steak. You do know that there are people here in this studio who right. sell. Yes, yeah. I know. I know the hair on the back of his so, neck is I mean, just all putting you know, it we, together. We're, we're very proud of our steak. It's you know obviously it's prime. Uh, it's fifty-five day age steak that we have. We we love our steak. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not Wagyu. I'm sure their steaks are amazing. And I wish, mm-hmm. did you bring any steak over there, you guys? Of course they yeah, do. Yeah, of course okay, they do. Okay, good. I can't wait to try it. Uh, it's an F1. F1. an F1. Right. Well, we're, we're excited to, to share the stage with mm-hmm. them today. You know, we brought other things, too. We make our own pasta fresh. You know, when but I- But is that it? That's really what I want to, yeah, because, sure. you know, you do have, there's steakhouses, too, all over Boston. Right. You managed to grow from one location to 11 locations right. around the country. So yeah. you, you must have- well, was that the plan when you called it out of the steakhouse it, moniker? It was, because at the time, we were also in Philadelphia at that time. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I saw, because, again, there's a million Italian restaurants, a million steakhouses, but there weren't a lot of Italian steakhouses. I was going to say. Because oh, our wait. menu is really two restaurants. In one. And by the way, seafood as well. You know, I'm a Boston guy, so we have Georgia's Bank off the, you know, in the water there. We have mm-hmm. amazing seafood. So our menu was massive. It's a huge, diverse menu. And that's what's great about coming to Domino's is you don't just come for a steak one night or Pot, you, you can come every night because there's so many different things. We have burgers, we have pizza. It's 
It's a massive menu. So, all right, we have to take a quick break. Sure. And when I come back, I want to talk about site selection and how you guys go about okay, doing great. that. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. I already had some rum. It's going to get fun. We'll be back in just a sec. Okay, so anybody who knows me knows that if it's sports, I will watch it on TV, except for cricket. I don't do cricket. But I love going <laughs> to watch my sports at Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. It's fabulous. They've got 21 TV screens down there. Uh, they've got a great selection of beers the food is terrific. They've got a dish called the Crazy Big Nachos that is exactly as described, and a Detroit-style deep-dish pizza that's just nuts. And there's nothing like watching a game, stuffing your face with a bunch of people that are enjoying it just like you are. Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. If you love sports and you love fun food, go there. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Steve DiFilippo, who is the chef and owner of Davio's Northern Italian Steakhouse, which... Only has eleven locations. You know, Dave. I gotta tell you, you, you say my name perfectly. I, I do because so many shows around the country. Nobody says my name like you. Why do you think Italiano. I am not saying your last name? <laughs> there is right. a I'm so impressed. I yeah. mispronounce everybody's <laughs> name. You, you know, you're, you're, I consider you my homie for God's sake. <laughs> um, so, all due respect, I'd rather have Nikki to say that, but it's okay. Right, it's uh, okay. <laughs> you're out of luck, man. <laughs> uh, it's too late. Right. Um, so, I mean, kind of back to this. So, I mean, you have to, you know, kind of cut the middle um, uh, between being a steakhouse and being an, an Italian restaurant. And, Why? And, well, I'm, you don't have to. You, 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 you do by the very nature of, you know, your business. So, I mean, what— I don't understand the question. I'm trying to get to it if you'll right, let me. Oh, my that. God. Oh, a little How many insight years into now? my marriage. Too many. 26. 26. 27. <laughs> Oh, I lost a year. <laughs> Anyways, I guess my my you know you're 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 a big hit in Boston. Why expand and Philly? Well, okay. Well, but. I kind of grew up in a family that did that. My father and my uncle they own this company called Uniforce, this big industrial uniform company all over the country. Uh, and I grew up in a family that did that. They opened their plants everywhere. Mm. So I kind of it was in my blood to do that as well. Mm. Uh, and you know, I, I love to expand. I love meeting new people. I love training new people. I like meeting new landlords and going to new areas. And, oh my God, nobody uh, likes meeting new landlords. Oh, that I cannot do. possibly be true. <laughs> I do. Well, I'm really. What did you smoke before you <laughs> right. came in? Right. <laughs> okay, so tell us quickly. It's legal in Massachusetts, by okay. the way. <laughs> it's legal in Maryland. Um, tell us about site selection. Like sure. you come to the DC market, you mm -hmm. decide to go rest in instead of coming to downtown DC. Is that because price per square foot is so ridiculous mm -hmm. or you felt that there was a better market for you in Virginia than in downtown DC or over in Maryland? Well, it's a relationship, first of all. Okay. Uh, the Clementes who own, who's our landlord, I mm -hmm. go with the landlord. If I, I get to meet the landlords and, you know, they own that whole area. Uh, Chris and, you know, they're, they're, they're just an amazing, yeah, they're an amazing family. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, their daughter went to Boston University. Guess where I went, right? Uh, and they would come to Boston. And they would go to the Davos at the Seaport, and I got to really know them. And, and they're the, they're just incredible family. So when something came up in Reston, uh, I got the call, and I came down. And uh, they have this, this guy Tim, who's the guy who runs these things, and I got to really like Tim as well. And, and it became an amazing relationship. So I usually like to put restaurants where the people are. You know, but how do you go so, about introducing yourself? I mean, you know, D.C., Virginia, too, yep. you know, really gravitates to the local chef community, no different than in Boston mm -hmm. as well. Um, you know, Michael Schlau has ingratiated himself here in the community. How that's because we threw him out of Boston. No, you did not. <laughs> not with that best friend of his. Yeah, um, I'm just kidding. So I'm just kidding. Uh, how do you go about becoming a part of the, of introducing yourself, your concept, 
to the D.C. Virginia community. Well, I'm doing it right now because when I met Diane, who's doing our our, mm-hmm. our PR here, and, and Ani, they said you have to go meet Nikki and David. Everyone, well, I mean, this is the most famous radio show in the Did country. Did you say I Nikki think. and David or David and Nikki? <laughs> I, th- I think it was Nikki, and then I said, "Isn't there a guy on there too? Some guy? You're in deep wedding right now. Uh, you, know. Anyway. you know, and this is what I do. I I'm, I went to Boston University for marketing, and I love this kind of stuff. I wrote a book. It's all about the guests. I mm-hmm. travel all over the country, and I and I love to go into new markets and introduce Davi and and meet new people and you know we're going to be friends for life now this won't be the first time and last time i'm on the show hopefully but hopefully not yeah we'll okay see. so tell everybody please where we can find you so online. we're in reston station we're also it's just davios.com okay just go on davios.com all the locations d-a-v-i-o-s yeah. you know i just want to say two things so we have great steak but the pasta to me is mm-hmm. is my thing because we make it fresh every day we cook it to order for you mm-hmm. we don't cook it in the morning and dunk it when you come in it's literally cooked for you it's a vanade uh, al dente it's library exactly based. and you know, we're really proud of our, our pasta, and uh, you know, people are still eating pasta. I'm proud know. of you, are you for kidding? being proud we of your pasta. pasta. Yeah, three or four well, I laugh because you know, everyone says, Oh, I'm not eating carbs anymore. Well, I, you need to come to Davin and see how much pasta we sell. Okay, it's crazy. We eat carbs right. a lot, anyway. Thank you for <laughs> joining right, thanks us. Thanks for having All right, me, Clyde. All right. And you this catch is delicious. Plane, right? Tell us a little bit about the complexities of the rum. Oh, so this, uh, that what you're drinking now is the Equiano original. Again, mm-hmm. a blend of two different rums. First time we blended rum from Africa and the Caribbean together. So you have the distiller in Mauritius, Grace Distillery, and Foursquare Distillery in Barbados, mm-hmm. uh, which is real renowned as probably the best independent rum distillery in the world. Mm-hmm. And so what you're getting is the ripe fruit flavor on the, on the front end of it. And then it kind of dissolves to so this vanilla baking spices, similar to like a rye whiskey, because those baking spices are really, really high in there. And then it finishes nice and dry. A lot of people say, oh, it finishes dry like a whiskey. But it's not finished and dry because whiskey, that's how things that come out of barrel that are untainted finish. Well, I think there's a misconception when it comes to rum yes. that the finish should be sweet, Yes, which is wrong. It's it wrong. shouldn't be. Yeah, what's happening is that there are a lot of additives in those rums, like mm-hmm. adding caramel for color, adding... Um, glycerin for sweetener or to make it smooth. Well, because it's mass-produced. It's mass-produced, and so the independent breakers, like Richard Seal, who is the person who bottles our rum, mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything. He calls it, this is true rum, so no additives, no sugar. You're getting what he com- what comes out the barrel and blend it to that, to that uh, taste. Um, so we're drinking taste. what Alexander Hamilton drank, right? Pretty much, pretty much, pretty okay, don't, much. Don't launch into some. Um, <laughs> Oh, no, okay. I definitely. Yeah, All right, yeah. networking goes on after the show. Um, but I want to say you are in the room where it happens. Yes. Yes. Tell us, tell us what you're pouring next. Hey, I got another guest coming on. It's not your show. Tell me um, so the next, what's pouring next. So the next we're going to pour is Equiano Light, uh-huh. which is um, not just a young expression of Equiano, but this is fresh sugarcane juice from, from Mauritius, unaged, blended with three-year-old rum from Barbados. So that's this um, pale gold uh, complexion to it. Um, because all rum has to be aged, but most mm-hmm. ripe rum gets charcoal filtered to become white. So this is just pure rum after it's been aged just a short period of time. So it's a great uh, for daiquiris. So we're going to have it neat so you can know what you're drinking first. And then right. the next time we'll have a daiquiri with and it. And hopefully I'll be able to drive home. Okay. While all you're right. doing that, we're going to talk to our guests. We're going to go all the way across the world to New York. Uh, <laughs> Maggie Zhu is with us. She has written a uh, another cookbook, book. beautiful book called Chinese Home Style. The, the point of the book is that plant-based recipes, but they're very hearty recipes. I was looking through it just now. Well, but I think, Maggie, your journey to getting to write this book is really interesting because um, you grew up not eating plant-based, and you grew up in China, you know, with your mother. Well, your mother did all the cooking, because I read, 
all about you. Your mother did all the cooking, but you learned to cook on your own. But you really enjoyed the cooking of your childhood. So tell us a little bit about how you wound up here today. So I grew up in a traditional Chinese family, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been eating like just really simple, healthy, homestyle food that my mom and grandma mm -hmm. made. Uh, and my mom was really uh, the, you know, like very traditional Asian parents. They they're like, oh, you just focus your time, like just focus on study. Don't worry about cooking. Don't worry about anything like, you know, unrelated to study. Mm -hmm. So basically, I've been having you know really delicious homemade food, like you know, like dumplings, noodles. Uh, stirred fried vegetables, uh, meat stews, like very simple mm -hmm. and hearty growing up. And uh, not until I go to Japan, I started to live alone. And obviously I have to learn how to cook. Mm -hmm. And I think by that time, you know, because I, I grew up watching my mom cooking. So I kind of have an idea. It's like, you know, I, I think I just naturally know how to do a fried rice. You mm -hmm. know, because I've watched it like a thousand times or like the, the easiest, like a scrambled egg with tomato. Mm -hmm. Those are my two favorite dishes. I love that. So I I know a little bit about cooking. I think I can do very basic things like, oh, I can to, to put some instant noodles and, and, and vegetables in, you know, with chicken soup. So it tastes better right. than just pour, pour in hot water. Um, but I, I, I went to Japan and I already started to miss my mom's cooking. So mm -hmm. I call her to be like, mom, how to make this? fried cabbage stir fry and she would be like oh you just cut them and stir fry them until it look right and then you pour in a little bit of soy sauce and, and you, you were know, like what that. does that mean yeah. <laughs> right and i tried and uh i did uh, it's like that something's like not 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 right i just i just never able to get the the, the taste of my mom's cooking uh, it was very very challenging for me mm -hmm. so i started to read uh books actually uh in japanese uh, because Japanese people, they are really meticulous and they have those beautiful magazines like blogs and books, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how to make like ho like homemade. They try to make home cooking easier and approachable by showing a lot of pictures, like how to cut. But is that what inspired things. you to start your blog? Exactly. It's a, it was like it, there was like, uh, you know, because that was like really long time ago when it, but I think these days there's a little bit more Chinese recipes out there that are better qualities. But back in the days, you rarely see recipes that have measurement. Mm -hmm. they, they never give you measurement. And it's actually considered like a culturally, it's a, um, it's a kind of like a, it's a secret of chefs because mm -hmm. if they let you know how they do it, then they, then everybody you know, knows how to do it. They lose their advantage. In right. The, in That's the, why you always industry. leave a teaspoon of something out when yeah. you give somebody the recipe. <laughs> right. So it doesn't like, turn I'm out as good. Tell you exactly right. Right. No, I know how that works. Uh, yeah, so it's very, very tricky. And uh, and then I went to Japan and there's all kinds of home chefs to, to share. Oh, like a, a very uh, clear, accurate measurement and mm -hmm. they show you how to cut it and how the ingredients should look like when you cook it. And I was like very, very thankful that I can just like follow a recipe and I made my first dish. It was a sweet and sour chicken. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I really want some sweet and sour chicken. Um, And my, my friends are like, wow how you made this like they were like shocked like i can actually make this um just from like learning from a book but anyway that's my kind of like get into food mm -hmm. um well, i start to cook more and yeah well i just want to ask you a question you know while you're doing this people are listening and they're going well maybe i can do that what do you have to have on hand to sort of jump into your book and start well i think things? the beauty of it is actually your chinese pantry uh, listing in yeah. the beginning of the book of there all the things that you should have in order to 
you know, just grab it from the pantry and then you these the the recipes are not complex. They're not I mean, scary. Exactly. You only need a. I really feel like you only need a few basic things. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the 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 very bare minimum is the is the soy sauce, which mm-hmm. I think most people already yeah. have. And there's the vinegar and the cooking wine. Those mm-hmm. are kind of important, and it's like could be a little bit hard to find. Um, and uh, you know, for for plant based cooking, I like to use oyster, uh, vegetarian oyster sauce, which mm-hmm. is made from mushrooms. Can we so talk about are, that? But mm-hmm. so, so we didn't really talk about how you wound up going plant based for this book. But, you know, that's one of the questions I had first was about so many ingredients in Chinese cooking contain some sort of, whether it's shrimp, you know, dried shrimp or fish sauce, or there's all these um, components that have some sort of meat protein in them, right? Some of them. Actually, not not the majority because um, soy sauce, vinegar, wine, and sauces like very common sauces like black bean sauce, yeah, poison sauce, and uh, um, chili oil. Those are like very popular mm-hmm. uh, seasonings, and they, none of them are you know meat or seafood meat based. based. Mm-hmm. Oh, the only thing that is seafood based, like the, like the very commonly used one, is the oyster sauce mm-hmm. because it has oyster extract in it. Mm-hmm. And there is a really amazing plant based version. It's gluten free and plant based, and I think the flavor is really really close. Well, like, and they did a really good job. To argue, argue a plant based point, a lot of people who are plant based believe in eating oysters because of what they do for the waterways because they're aquifers. So just throw that out there. So yeah. another another thing. I wait guess. wait wait. Oh, we have to take oh. a break. Well, let's take a quick break, Maggie. I don't want to take a break. I know. But Maggie, do you mind holding on for a minute? We'll be back with you in just a sec. Great. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We are getting our plant-based Chinese cooking on with Maggie Zhu. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're speaking with Maggie Zhu about her great new cookbook, Chinese Home Style. Mm -hmm. Um, Maggie, one of the things that occurred to me when I was listening to you and Nikki talk is there's some people who are going to hear about this and get the book and think, well, I, I don't have all the utensils at home, but um, so what do, I, what do I need to cook your recipes? You can pretty much use whatever you already have mm-hmm. uh, in, your, in your own kitchen because um, a lot of my, most of my recipes, they don't require a wok uh, because I think in the U.S. a lot of like, about like two thirds of the stoves are electric or induction. And they're mm-hmm. not really suitable for wok cooking. Mm-hmm. And even for gas stove, when you, it's not like the super powerful ones, it's going to be really hard to generate enough heat and to you know to have the the huge flame that wrap around like a big right. wok. Mm-hmm. So I believe that like also from my own experience, a large skillet, no matter like my favorite one, is a carbon steel skillet. But I also use nonstick at home because I think both will give you really really good result. And I mm-hmm. think most people already have that. Well, that's so, so that's the that's a bare, that's a bare minimum. There's a little bit few things like you know like a steamers and you know if you like to steam food, a steamer will be helpful. And uh, uh, you know a, a good sharp kitchen knife is always very very. Important. But you need that for any cooking. So basically, what you're saying yeah. is any bachelor can do this yeah. if he or she. Yes. So can we talk a little bit day. about tofu, and how mm-hmm. you recommend people? buy it, store it, the differences between the textures of them, because tofu is prevalent in this book. Um, and for people who maybe don't cook a lot with tofu, it could be a little intimidating. I think if you have never handled tofu before, you should always start with the firm and extra firm, just mm-hmm. because they're 
uh, easy to to make stir fry and not falling apart. Mm-hmm. I personally use all kinds of. I like the soft and medium too, especially when I'm you know uh, make it. Especially when making a dish like mapo tofu, mm-hmm. when you are doing like a little bit of stew, like you just put them in to to soak in all the flavors. Mm-hmm. In this case, sometimes like soft and medium, they give you a really nice texture and they are faster to cook. And the just soak up all the flavor, and it has like a very nice texture. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a little bit trickier to handle because if you do things like you know, if you stir it, stir it like not very carefully, they just fall apart. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to use them. Like I, I, I use all kinds of textures, uh, tofu in my recipes, but you can always stick with firm and extra firm if you're not familiar with it. And there's one way that I really love is to freeze tofu. Hmm. Um, it's oh, no matter idea. if you want to store it or for a stew. So when you freeze tofu, what happens is it become, you know, it, the, all the water freeze and then they, you know, when you thaw them, they just came out mm-hmm. and the tofu become kind of porous. So the, the texture become a little bit chewy, but it inside is like a, it, like a sponge. So when you put in the sauce, they just soak up. It all kind the of flavor. soaks everything up. It's smart. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So one recipe I want to talk about is the Dan Dan noodles. Because everyone loves Dan Dan noodles. Everybody loves Dan Dan noodles. But I I mean, I love Dan Dan noodles, but I never make it at home. So what are some of the tricks of the trade to make a really terrific Dan Dan noodle? It's actually very easy because the really the most important thing is the sauce. Mm-hmm. When you get the sauce down, like there are quite a few ingredients. There's like I use a nutty paste. Mm-hmm. As a, uh, it's, a, it's called Chinese sesame paste, but you right. can use uh unflavored natural peanut butter to replace it mm-hmm. and uh there's you know like the soy sauce the vinegar the chili oil there's a ingredient called citron peppercorn it's like dusty numbing like uh, very important in citron cooking it's a little red pepper mm-hmm. but it's not the pepper it's actually like citrus that give you like a numbing sensation mm-hmm. so you have you need to just put those ingredients together to the sauce is the the essential and the, i use homemade chili oil in it which mm-hmm. is uh you know a recipe i include in the first chapter it takes you five minutes, but it's just all those like spice and fragrance that comes together w- to form this like spicy, savory, and slightly sweet sauce, and w- which is the base. And the noodles are just you know they're just like noodles. You boil the noodles, and I make a top. So traditionally, the topping is made with like a little bit dried pork just right. to add flavor, to, like a texture to the dish. But I use a paste that use a blend, a blend nuts and some tofu. Oh. And, and then I fry them with and that adds that texture. To, to add that texture. And it's, you know, it just gave you like a meaty feeling. I am, right. I'm, I'm ready to eat. You. Okay, Maggie, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. Can you tell everybody where we can find you online and on Instagram, please? And find the book. So mm-hmm. I have, my uh, my blog is omniworthcookbook.com mm-hmm. and my Instagram is om- omniworthcookbook where you can find like a lot of like I have 700 recipes there. Okay, great. Maggie, thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody, please check out Chinese Home Style, everyday plant-based recipes for takeout, dim sum, noodles, and more. I'm going home to make Dan Dan right now. No, he's not. But uh, (laughs) all right, Clyde, let's bring you back. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Okay, so are we getting a daiquiri? What's happening here? This is the Equiano Light Daiquiri. This is very, very easy. It's it's really two parts Equiano Light. Uh, one part uh, fresh lime juice. I always like the freshest lime juice you can get because um, lime juice is really going to matter. And then a half part uh, simple syrup. Today I'm using 
a uh, pineapple spice simple syrup from our friends at Kane Collective. Mm. Um, some guys from Baltimore, they've been here a couple times too. Just once or twice. Yeah, so so I'm using that, and then we're just going to about to shake that up, and we'll pour it right now. All right, why don't you get I to that? I just want to say, after all these samples and everything, I hope you're ready to drive us home. Today. <laughs> Not today. All right. all right, so you wanted to do this intro. Well, I already did the intro, you so wanna, now you can right. bring it in. All I right. already did it in the beginning of the show. You can do it now. So Karen Way, Roy Lambert, and Jessica Moore, Partner from Avoca Farm. They're out in Virginia, Northern Virginia, and they are, I would call you not just cattle entrepreneurs, but steak entrepreneurs, aren't you? Uh, they, they, they have melded uh, really the East and West on, uh, on, on steaks. Uh, so Japanese Wagyu and uh, American Angus cows got together for, a, I guess it was a blind date, really, and made what is now going to people's plates. This, what do you call it? Do you call it a well, we Angus? Are, well, some people do. If you if you look up the Angus and Wagyu blend, which is you're seeing a lot more on menus now, we call it F1. Some folks call it American Wagyu, but that's undefined, so you don't know what you're getting. So, yeah, let's start from the beginning a yeah. little bit because um, you've had this farm for quite some time, but you just recently got involved with it. So how did you partner up with Roy and bring in Jessica? Like, Let's, because we only have 10 minutes, so we don't have time for the whole story, but let's just talk about like a synopsis of how this all started and then how it's being executed now. Sure. Yeah. I, about two and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to take over management of the farm. And mm -hmm. even though my background was a mom and a lawyer from Chicago, it was an opportunity. I mean, it was an adventure you couldn't pass up because mm -hmm. I'd been playing with the cows for 10 years. The next step is actually running the business. Mm -hmm. And, um, so what I've discovered very quickly is that I can't sell, I can't do anything. My weaknesses were business. I love the cows and I love working. But were you already, them. but were they Wagyu at that point? Yeah, well, what we had done, we had started the herd with our full bloods. Um, mm -hmm. We had imported embryos from Japan and used the Angus host. So then we started with the full bloods, but once I discovered I couldn't cook it, because I, I, I tried a low and slow pot roast and it turned into a gallon of gravy because that interstitial fat is right. so intense. And mm -hmm. so we started crossing them a single cross with an Angus so that you actually got the best of both worlds. You ended up with the tender steak, the Thank flavor you. profile of the Angus. And, um, and from a production perspective, mm. from a husbandry perspective, and then from the taste perspective. And we started then when I... Jessica, our sons were best friends in high school, so we mm -hmm. just knew each other as moms. And so when I called her the first time to say, hey, dude, guess what I'm doing? And she hung up on me mm -hmm. and ran away. And then uh, she Not came really. back. Took <laughs> pages of notes in five minutes. Yes, and then she ran away. <laughs> and said, okay. you don't know what All you're right. doing. Neither okay, so but so then, but once you both realized, mm -hmm. you knew there was a business that needed to function, but there was also the business of the cows and the farm, mm -hmm. which is when you brought... Roy. Roy to the table. So, Roy, let's get a little bit of your background uh, and how you got into farming. Well, my background is I've been in ag for over 28 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, Karen Way had asked me to come in. We, they had purchased stuff from the company I was working for. Mm -hmm. Went there, gave a little knowledge that they may need it. When you say ag, were you in big ag or were you still working with small farms? Um well, where I was was a cooperative, and we worked with large farms mm -hmm. all over. We was in five, six different states. So we supplied the, the farmers with the knowledge and the supplies that they needed. Okay. And that's how I met up with Karen and Jessica. 
Mm-hmm. And we just start. All right, I got a question. So how do you you say okay, we're gonna we're gonna mate these two different breeds of cow. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make a better meat. How do you? I mean, where did you go from the like? You got to sell it. Well, there sounds. Well, wait. I think you're putting so wait, the wait, 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 the wait. So here. how much? Okay. How much? How much cooking and research and all that did you have to do to be able to then go? Ten and years. talk about its attributes and and well, not just that, the but world. the farming of it. Exactly, it's it's it, it's it its is, own breed. It is its own breed. The way you raise them. Do they eat different foods? They than, do. Oh, in fact, right. I mean, well, so it's a totally different. What do they eat? They well, they are grass fed, and then we have our own grain recipe. It's non-GMO and all natural because their protein requirements are different. And Roy, and that's <laughs> what Karen wanted. Everyone to have access to good, clean food. So that's mm-hmm. why we went all natural and a non-GMO. We don't feed any ionophores, nothing that the humans want in their foods. Sure. That's why we started or she started what, what we have and mm-hmm. just progressed from there. But, Karen, there were lots of things. And because this is only I only know this because we've had conversations. But there were things that you did not know about farming. And, Jessica, you too. Like, you know, there were things that you guys did not know, which is why you brought Roy in. So what were some of the things that he was like, uh, these are things you should be doing to keep the cows healthier or to create a better product? What were some of those the things? The first that one brought? must have been don't keep them in the house. <laughs> well, actually, he did tell us that because we did keep one in the house. So it needed a little bit They're of a... They're so sweet. It it's so hard kitchen. to reconcile because I love yes, meat. Yes. But um, no, when Roy came on, that's where we were able to... Now we have the sales part, we have the business part. Mm-hmm. And he saw how we needed to work on the regenerative farming practices, the sustainability, to really make it so we, we aren't cattle farmers, we're grass farmers. Mm. Correct. And so without having grass, you uh, you can pay up to $35,000 in eight weeks for hay. Sure. And so he's been incredible. He changed the fencing system. He hooked up with the state for watering systems. I mean, he was able to make us efficient environmentally um, proper, taking care of uh, stewards Mm -hmm. and and made the whole operation work not just better, but it's a model. And we were now able to say we're GAP eligible. We aren't certified yet. And we were just talking about that. What is GAP eligibility? What is that, Roy? GAP is uh, where you treat the animals humanely. Um, like the like the humane certified. Correct. Yes. Okay. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But it takes into account also the husbandry practices in terms of the the maintenance of the farm and the grass and and it's a bigger picture. I mean, some people want to go organic. That's a whole different bag just of worms. We just term. want to be the gap eligible Correct. certified because that means we treat our animals properly. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh wait, so, no, no, you can't. We yes, have to take a break. I nope. want to. Don't. Okay. Okay. It's David Nikki Nellis. We're talking about the F1. If you haven't had it, you need to. We'll be back in just Sounds a like sec. Sounds like a new jet. It does sound like a new jet. <laughs> All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're ca- talking to Karen Way, Roy Lambert, and Jessica Morton from Avoca Farm about and drinking their... delicious Bloody Marys. That's true. <laughs> that right don't where, have rum in them. That's where she lives. <laughs> um, so, all right, so you, you've created this mm-hmm. better cut of meat. Not better cut, but this better quality cow. meat. This better cow. And you can really, because of the, the quality of the meat, it's really an end to a nose to tail kind of a deal where there are cuts that normally people would be like, I'm not eating that. You can, right? I want exactly. to hear about that. But, but then I also want to hear about how you're, I mean, how you convince people that all this is so and, and how you're, you know, how you're marketing. Yeah. 
Well, and the marketing was a, a pretty interesting challenge in and of itself because it's all about educating the public. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is what we do. We talk a lot. So when we're selling, it's starting from the beginning, not just how we took over and had to revamp the the, the fencing, but it's also why this is a better product and what is the F1 and how do you cook it. It's a lot of education and the, convincing people, educating them that steaks from the round are delicious. You don't have to pound the heck out of it for chicken fried well, steak think, or right, something Or simple. like stew. Like right. I think people think that there are porterhouse, tenderloin – uh, hanger. I mean, I can name like six cuts that premium people are like, cuts. right, the premium. Well, hanger really? didn't used to be a premium <laughs> cut, right. but now it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. brisket, like there are cuts that people are familiar with now because they see it in, in, in the grocery store and they see it in a restaurant. But then the cuts that they think of as cheaper, they don't think they're valuable for cooking unless they're in a long roast or a stew or a sauce or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but how do you well, for example, change I that dialogue? You, I brought you a, a, one of the things that we do is we work with our chef, chefs and our customers to show them their substitutes. There's life beyond ribeye. So that, for example, if you can't... Don't say that. Yeah, I mean, David No, you got to trust me on this one. <laughs> David really We do loves blind it. taste test with a ribeye of ours and a chuck roast. Or sorry, the chuck eye steak. And usually people pick the chuck eye steak. Because but you see, so are you searing it and serving it? Like, are you cooking it the same way? I guess that's really the question. It's very similar. You got to do that hard sear. Okay, that's critical. How do you so, feel about reverse sear? Because that's how I cook all my. Well, that's steaks. what I did last night. Actually, okay. the the flank I brought you guys today, mm -hmm. it was a reverse sear. Um, and actually, also there's a there's some of the flank steak, and then I brought you a Denver cut. So mm -hmm. what? What's been wonderful right, is... Right, slide that bad boy over here. Yeah. And the eggs are from the farm. There are chickens. So. Aww, that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so um, much. Wow. And so... Oh, here we go. So you can take a little Thank you. taste if you like. Um, Thank you. So the point is, is that the flank is tender. The Denver is one that we cut that this the chefs love. We usually don't this have this. This is the Denver? Yes. So the, we don't frequently have a lot of these cuts, but now that we're in the farmer's markets and trying to educate the public about all these right. cuts, the chefs love them, so we're able to share this with the public. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really interesting to see um, how uh, changing people's perspective, like you said, on these cuts that normally aren't terrific, but for example, if it's a full blood, for example, Angus or other breed, mm -hmm. but like with this, if you see the eye of round and you got the filet, um, the marbling on both is incredible and mm -hmm. way better than you see on anything. And one of our Michelin chefs... I mean, when you're looking at them, you cannot tell the difference. No, you can't. You no. really can't. And what's interesting is that we've been educating them about substitute cuts. So, for example, I said the ribeye and the chuck for this. One of our Michelin chefs uses the eye of round for his tartare mm. versus another that uses a tenderloin. Well, that night at your house, mm -hmm. is that what was used for the tartare? Um, Not tartare, carpaccio. Uh, carpaccio. Yeah, I think he, he uses a tenderloin traditional. Okay, yeah, it was delicious. Yeah, so very that, good. oh yeah, that's melting. Okay, so very quickly, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the farm. Dude, we only have so much time. And how um, people, like. You're just going to have to come visit. Yes. Tell people about the farm, how they can come and visit, what's there at the farm. Let's get the 411 on that. Well, let's see. Jessica really mans the house a lot of the time. She's the she's, gorgeous, gorgeous, refurbished. She mans the house. house yes. She has single-handedly set up our beautiful new retail store on site. Jess, tell us about it. Oh, it's just a small 2,800 square foot. Used to be a wood shop. We've converted it into a storefront. We're there <laughs> anyway, so come by and visit us. What is the fabulous new name? Yes. Tell us. The Beefery at the O. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and 
also, can you talk a little bit about what's there? Because you have, you can come in, There, there's space for cooking demos. I mean, there's so many things that people can participate in. Do people need to make reservations to come see the farm? I mean, how does it work? Most certainly. So we do have uh, farm tours that are open to the public. Mm-hmm. We are posted online on our website. That's avocalfarm.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also host private parties, corporate um, tours as well. And then we also do, so we'll do uh, gourmet tastings, and then we do cooking classes. I was and, say. Yeah, what about yeah, the should... dinners and the lodge? Because when I went with David Hagedorn and we stayed at your beautiful lodge, I mean, is that something that's open for people to book? And these gourmet dinners that you're doing, is that something that the public can participate in? And how do people find out about them? Yeah, we do uh, whirlwind Wagyu tasting dinners, mm-hmm. and they're a minimum of six people. They just reach out to us at orders at avocafarm.com, mm-hmm. email us, and then we'll partner with the chef, make sure a chef's availability on the um, specific date, mm-hmm. and then we go from there. Uh, we also host public ones, which are open where you could have minimum of, you know, party of two, party of one, and then it'll be a group um, effort dinner collectively together. Excellent. Okay. Thank you both so much, all of you, for joining us today. Thank you. Well, okay. you know our trade name is Babs. Yeah. The, the badass bitches and beef. He's beef. <laughs> In case there was any Look at Roy. question. Roy's oh, like, no. no. Oh, no. We can tell. Roy is like, no, Can you see me, bro? No, no. no I yes. see. I, 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 but I did see you pull your gut in, like, <laughs> which I did too. All right. Tell everybody, please, where we can find you on Instagram and online. We are avocafarm.com. On Instagram, we are avocafarm.virginia. Great. Guys, thank you so much for coming in today and bringing all this fabulous stuff. It's terrific. Can't wait to see you. I know. Clyde. Clyde. Yes, All right, so let's talk to people about your products a little bit more and where we can find you and, and where we can find the product and how people can stay educated because your commitment to uh, black-owned distilled products is part of how you got here, yes, right? Yes, and, yes, And it's in in the States especially, it is so hard for people in the black community to get access to funds to create their own distillery. Yes. So how where, where do you fit in on that? Well, where, where I fit in is that uh, my kind of mantra is I want to be the person I needed when I was younger. Mm. And so when we started our business in 2002, where there were no black mentors, there were no people that to help us. We we're kind of out there on an island making a lot of mistakes that we wouldn't have been making if we had like mentorship and those type of things. And we didn't have access to funds because we didn't have any, I don't have a rich uncle. I grew up very pretty well, but not where my dad could write me a million dollar check and go do something. Go start it. Yeah, so you're not it. Donald Trump, are you? No, 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 no. I didn't start with a small loan of $900 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was only $900 million. <laughs> only 900, right. You know what I mean? I didn't have change for a billion dollar bill that mm. day. Mm. So... But so so that's where my passion came from, because I was the person that was sitting in people's lobbies for five or six hours trying to get a meeting. So and will you help connect people to money or will you help both, give them the education for how to go get their money? Both, both, because I have a small fund that me and a group of friends started called uh, with called the Virgis Capital Fund. Mm-hmm. And so we we, we support and um, invest in uh, black owned and, and women owned brands as well as brands that we think that can, you know, grow. And, and also my consultancy um, for the beverage company is really directed toward black-owned and women-owned brands who have a hard time getting a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Because of my career and spirits, I can get those meetings for them with different distributors, with different restaurant groups. Sure. So it allows them to get access. So I'm just kind of trying to leverage the experience I had 
to kind of help knock down the barriers that a lot of them face. And a lot of people want to be in the spirits industry because they see the the growth of a brand like Uncle Nearest and they want to be the next brand of, of that kind of. So we're just taking it one step at a time and just going well, market by market. We only have a minute left, but do you think it's changing out there a little bit? I mean, because of people like you and I mean, so many others, like I think Chanel and, yeah, you know, so many people who are like it, it's, breaking it's, down those barriers. Is it starting to it's change? It's starting to change, but it's still a challenge mm. because we're always, there's an idea that it has to be black exceptionalism. Like a person who has to be above and beyond being good to, right. to, 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 to succeed and that you have to have all this experience to succeed. When most people started, they, got, they didn't get the experience. They got the opportunity. No, so it's about giving people right. opportunity so they can get the experience. And that's well, what I'm helping people. I mean, I when I think of all the people who have walked through the, our doors in, mm-hmm. for the station over the years who got into distilling, who either like had a tech job or, you know, mm-hmm. did something in finance or something like that. And then yeah. they're like, yeah, I just decided to open a brewery. I yeah. mean, they totally had access. Yes. And yes. you're a hundred percent right. Yes. Yes. And so, so for me, it is about creating those opportunities and also I'm in hospitality. So it's about friendship. Mm-hmm. And so like the first, the last uh, drink that we're going to show today mm-hmm. is called the friendship cocktail. So okay. that's a cocktail um, that we came up with, which is, uh, Amaro that we actually, uh, me and my friend John Arroyo uh, put together. Um, we know John. Yeah, with Copper Fox Bar, Copper mm-hmm. Fox. Uh, Is he still alive? Yes, he's very, he's very, up. very, very much alive. And so we do an Amaro with him, and we put this together with your favorite rye, our favorite rum. Today we have a Equiano rum, and this is just uh, after dinner, cheers of friendship, and the friendship that we've had oh, for the last really six good. or seven years. Real good. Right. This is the blend. Tell us, please, where we can find you on Instagram and where we can find so you online. So today you can find Instagram, Equiano Rum, at Equiano Rum. Mm. Um, my company is 75 Proof Bev. That's at 75 Proof Bev. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so that's that's where you can find uh, the brands I represent. That's where you can find Equiano Rum. Um, so just continue to just support the brands that 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 look like everybody in the world. And so that's it. really what our focus is. Thank you so much. It's so good Thank to you. have you in. Quick wrap up. All right. So... President Biden, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, through the State Department, created a new program where you can literally sponsor um, uh, legitimate refugees. In other words, folks who have come into the country legally, doesn't matter if they're from Ukraine or Somalia or whatever. Um, and you, the concept is that you get a group, you put a group together of at least five people um, and that are willing to, to contribute to a fund, $2,750 per refugee and that helps through a refugee agency get them housing, get them food, help them find jobs, teach English, all of the stuff they need to navigate in this world, financial training and all of that, how to handle your money. Um, there'll be information about it on the list and uh, go there and find out about it. All right. We want to thank everybody so much for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. Once again, we had a studio full of amazing people talking about incredible things. Everything you can find today is on the list, com. You want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, you can subscribe. So please do like, comment, tell us what's going on for you. You can always text me or reach out to me on any of the social media platforms. We're happy to answer your questions. Thank you again to all of our guests and everybody have a delicious week. <laughs>